Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. The world record is 75, set by Joey Chestnut. What does the 75 refer to? You know the answer to that? You give us a call at 514-790-0800. You can also uh, text your messages and questions to 514-800. I'm uh, Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. My background is chemistry. I think that this is the science that ties all the other sciences together, because if you have a feeling for what molecules are all about, what they can and cannot do, I think you have a pretty good feel for what can happen in the world. Uh, I've been uh, doing this for some 40 years, and uh, I'm preparing to do my 40th anniversary show here. We'll do that within the next couple of weeks. I'm just trying to get some recordings of some old shows, and uh, I now have a way to transfer some of those old tape to uh, MP4 files. So we should have some fun with that in the uh, next couple of weeks. All right, if you know the answer to the question, uh, we're going to play a little uh, COVID distraction game today. Uh, if you get, I'll ask you another question, if you get that right, I ask you another question, and so the game goes on. Why COVID distraction? Because, of course, for the last few months, we have been totally enveloped in uh, COVID and what to do about it and, and what not to do. And I'll tell you what I find absolutely amazing about this in my long years of having been in this business is that I have never seen as much effort put into something with as little return as with uh, COVID-19 in terms of what we know. The truth is we hardly know more than what we did beginning. We're not sure exactly how it is. We have some vague outlines, of course. Uh, there has been no significant uh, uh, treatment. Oh, yeah, I mean, there are some things like remdesivir that reduces the number of days of hospitalization but doesn't reduce mortality. Uh, there are some intriguing results about things like quercetin, which is a dietary supplement, uh, colchicine, but again, nothing, nothing really compelling um, out there. And uh, there, as I said before, uh, there does not seem to be much light in this tunnel. Anyway, uh, there is now a lot of interest in uh, environmental uh, effects on, on our health and then how workers are, are affected, especially because we have seen recently that people who work in meatpacking plants, people who work on call answering centers, people who work in Amazon warehouses are more prone to COVID-19. Well, you know that the first time that physicians were urged to ask patients about their occupation, way back in 1700, and it was in a book written by the Italian physician Bernardino Ramazzini. And that's when he published his classic De Morbis Artificum, or translated into English, Diseases of Workers. Uh, up to that time, no one had made any kind of a system, systematic study of uh, occupational hazards. But Ramadzi noticed that uh, pottery makers, for example, became sick because of exposure to the lead that was used in their glazes. Mirror producers, because of exposure to mercury. The oldest uh, mirrors were made with a mercury uh, facing. That was a reflective uh, surface. He also noted that workers who stood all day were more likely to get varicose veins. Well, 
Today, of course, occupational medicine has gone way beyond this, but Ramazzini is regarded as the father of occupational medicine. And um, people who work in that uh, particular area are interested in exactly the same kind of things that Ramazzini was interested in. Uh, but these days, of course, concerns are about oh things like asbestos in, in the workplace, about whether or not... Um, uh, workers who work in beauty salons or any kind of increased risk because of the dyes that they handle. And uh, there may be some concern there, particular to the um, hairdressers, uh, who, are, of course, are exposed to some of these hair dye components uh, for hours and hours at a time. Uh, there certainly is concern about office workers as well, people who sit for a very long time, for hours on end. And we are now learning that uh, this is not a good thing, that we need to stand up once in a while. And um, when you're on a bus or a train and you're holding on to that pole to avoid a, a fall, uh, and uh, you want to grab that last seat that has just become uh, vacant, consider that actually standing up uh, could be better for you. Uh, it uh, is becoming quite clear that, that sitting for long periods of time is not a good thing to do, and it is associated with uh, earlier uh, mortality. So these are the kind of things that, that uh, people who work in uh, occupational health are, are interested in. Air quality, for example, because uh, you know, uh, certainly people who work in, in uh, things like the baking industry uh, in the cement industry, are exposed to very fine particulate matter uh, that can be inhaled. And it's interesting to think back now that uh, uh, as early as 1700, Bernardino Ramazzini wrote a, a, a comprehensive treatise on uh, some of the problems that are associated in, in occupational environments. And uh, his uh, research was stimulated by a very interesting phenomenon, uh, he, he apparently had a cesspool on his land, and this had to be periodically uh, cleaned, and workers would, would have to descend into the cesspool to clean it. And one of the workers complained to uh, Ramazzini that he was having trouble with his vision because his eyes were constantly being irritated by the fumes that were coming out of the cesspool. And this is what started uh, uh, Ramazzini's work in occupational uh, medicine. Eventually, he ended up uh, suggesting to workers who clean out cesspools to wear some kind of eye protection and, uh, in order to try to reduce the uh, exposure to, to vapors. Uh, today, there are a number of societies around the world, uh, Ramazzini societies, that... Uh, have interesting retrospective views on his work and organize lectures in uh, occupational medicine. And today, occupational medicine you know, uh, uh, involves many, many areas. For example, dentists. Uh, dentists, of course, uh, for a long time worked with mercury, mercury fillings, and uh, were exposed to mercury vapor when they, when they drill. 
and uh, of course here we're talking about exposure over a long period of time uh, the the patient has much less to worry about than the dentist because the dentist is drilling and inhaling these those kind of vapors uh, all the time uh, there are concerns about exposure to x-rays of course whenever you're in some medical field or or in uh, in dentistry all of this comes under the umbrella of uh, occupational health people who work in in the dye industry for example people who work in pharmaceuticals are exposed to all sorts of, of solvents and have concerns about inhalation so it's interesting these days when of course we are so focused on on just what can cause COVID-19 and how it is transmitted interesting to think back uh, over 300 years to Bernardino Ramazzini who in his uh, classic book uh, basically laid the foundations to the modern concept of occupational medicine. Okay, we're going to take a break and check for uh, traffic, and after that, we'll see if any of you have the answer to the question that I asked about the number 75 being the record set by Joey Chestnut. Uh, what does the 75 refer to? You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let's hit the lines and see what Brenda has to say. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Dr. Joe. How are you? Okay. Okay. Um, I didn't hear the full question, but um, I think the answer is he ate 75 hot dogs. Yeah, in that is exactly right. I'm 10 or 12 minutes. <laughs> right. This right. is this is the uh, July Fourth competition that takes place every year at right. uh, Nathan's on Coney Island. I've been there. I was born in Coney Island. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. I. I uh, it's it's very close to my heart. Yeah, it's close to mine too because I went there when I was very young, and that, it was still in its heyday, the amusement park area. Yes. And I remember the cyclone. The uh, the classic roller coaster there, and there was always a special atmosphere on on Coney Island. Yeah, and there was a very good company that made the best knishes. I don't think they exist there anymore, oh, really? but they were the best. And I, I'm not sure that that's where Nathan's hot dog started. I think it may have, but certainly that's where the contest it did. takes My place. My brother used to work there many years ago. It did start. That it was start the. There, um, yeah. I think it started at the turn of the century. Right. And anyway, every July 4th, they host this competition of right. eating hot dogs, which is uh, <laughs> it's a bizarre activity. Let's, let's face it. Yeah. It's, it's, it. They refer to it as athletic eating. Not elegant <laughs> eating, for sure. Not elegant eating. <laughs> and it, it's pretty hard to conceive that, that someone can down 75 hot dogs. In, yeah, in hard minutes. on the esophagus, too, I would oh, imagine. Oh, my goodness. And have you ever seen the way that they do this? Um, I think so. They just, I mean, as long as it's in his mouth and whatever comes out, it's just what goes in that's counted, I right, think. Right, and not how it goes in. So, in fact, they don't eat the hot dog the way that we would normally eat it, with, True. The, with the wiener in the bun. True. Uh, what they actually do is they soak the bun in water. So that you know they can compress it and swallow it. Oh, it goes it more down easily. faster. Yeah. Interesting. So they eat the hot dog and the and the bun uh, separately. And, and what about the sauerkraut and mustard? Is that all in there too? I don't think so. Okay. I, there's no sauerkraut. <laughs> I I don't know about the the mustard, but I yeah. I don't think so. And Joey Chestnut uh, holds this record. He holds a number of other records too in the, in this business of competitive eating. Uh, I know that he holds the chicken wing record, mm. and he also holds the matzo ball record. 
<laughs> interesting. What is interesting about Joey is that when you look at him, uh, he's not overweight. No, he's, he's not. He uh, seems to be well built from he, what I've he seen. He is. He is. And, you know, they, they train for this thing. Yeah, he works out. You could tell. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting business. Not not something that we would recommend. No, for uh, sure in terms not. Of the nutrition. All right. Now, since you got that right, I am going to give you another question. Oh, okay. boy. Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, what is meant by a close encounter of the fourth kind? Well, Close Encounter of the Third Kind, I know it was an alien movie. Close Encounter of the Third Kind, Fourth Kind, could it be a spiritual connection of someone who's left this world? No, no. no. I mean, it is still in, it's in the alien category. All, oh, it all is. The, all these encounters are, are in terms of, 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 of aliens. So you were quite right that the, you know. Okay, the, could it, can I try another answer? Yes, yes. Can I take another guess? Yes, go ahead. Okay, could it be that someone has been on a ship, actually, and and communicated yes, with an alien? that's exactly it. Really? That, yeah. Oh, my, a I'm very smart today, aren't I? <laughs> a, close en- a close encounter of the fourth kind wow. is when someone has been kidnapped by a- aliens at a personal okay. encounter. Interesting. Obviously, we don't have any real evidence that that has ever happened. And but, then they uh, had yeah. to eat 75 hot dogs on the <laughs> ship. No? Yeah, well, that was... <laughs> Okay, so you've earned another um, another question. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. What was the original purpose of the tower on top of the Empire State Building? I think it was to help um, airlines with the landing to the airport, to guide them that they were in Manhattan. You're kind of getting there, but it wasn't for airplanes. Ships? No. No, I don't know. Well, what... I, I'm not going to guess. I don't know. All right. Two so, out of three is not bad. Uh, it's not bad. Not bad. All right. We'll see if someone else has that answer. Okay. okay. Thanks very much for uh, uh, chatting with me. Okay. Uh, let's go to uh, Susan. Susan. Oh, I knew the hot dogs, but it's time. You know the hot dogs, but you don't know the one for, of the mast on the top of the Empire State Building, what it was originally no, for? I do not. Uh, well, for radio waves, ra- radio transmission? That was later. That was not oh. why it was originally built. All right. Anyway, good. Uh, thank you. But you knew the hot dogs, right? Yes. Do so you get you. some comfort for that? <laughs> okay. All thank right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Let me go to Seema. Hi, Seema. Oh, how are you doing? Okay. Uh, so I have a question to ask you. So yeah. let's say you happen to touch a surface that yeah. has COVID yeah. and you're not able to wash your hands at that time. How long would it stay on your hands? Uh, it's hard to hard to know because there are many factors that are involved. You know, the temperature is involved, the amount of moisture you have on your hand is involved. But for the uh, the chance is that it can stay there for a considerable time, uh, hours. So uh, that's why it's important to wash your hands often. But and, uh, remember, though, and I always have to emphasize this: yep. the chance of of the, the COVID uh, being transmitted by touch. It's yeah. very small. That's okay. a very small chance. It is transmitted through the inhalation of, of infected droplets. But it is possible, in theory, 
to transmit it by touching a surface and then touching your face. But that's not the likely way to transmit it. So let's say you were to put some uh, hand sanitizer after an hour or something, you, you get home and you, or you put the right. hand sanitizer or soap. Either way would be okay to yes. remove it, right? Yes. So all okay. you have, all, if, if you have any concern that, that yeah. you know you may have infected your hand, yeah. the only thing you have to do is concentrate on not touching your face until you've washed your hand. Okay, and also wanted to ask you, you know, sometimes when you go to the grocery store and they have the, when you pay with your credit card or you have to put, punch in your yeah. your code, and many times I notice they, like, they don't have any covering on it, and, and sometimes I don't have gloves, you know, with me. I wear a mask when I go grocery shopping, right. but I wind up having sometimes to touch the buttons. Do you find that is a risky thing? It's a very small risk. Again, uh, in theory, it could happen if there's some virus on there, and then you touch your nose, your eyes, or your yeah mouth. Uh, I don't know of any situation where that has been documented to have happened, but in theory, it can happen. But it's a good idea to carry around sanitizer, you know, for situations like that, because at least it will give you some comfort, you know, that you've uh, uh, eliminated whatever was present on on your hands. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Very nice of you to answer my question. Okay. Bye. Sonia. Yes. Hello, Dr. Joe. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, the Empire State Building, there's a spear on the top, right? Right. And is that for lightning? No, it isn't. It isn't. Okay. I mean, it it will work, I suppose, the lightning, but that's not why it was It was there. It was, okay. It My was, other question yeah. for you is, um, you know, they introduced composting of any materials in the brown boxes. Yes. Uh, it, within the past uh, five years, I'll say. Yeah. Now, at first they used to, uh, you had to buy bags. You line your brown box, right, right? And you can you can compost meat right. and everything else. Yeah. And people didn't buy the brown bags, so they were just filling up their brown boxes right. with all kinds of stuff. Right. Is that a danger? Is that does that have anything to do with you know with with spreading virus? Uh, no, no, I no. Uh, I mean, if you know, if the bin gets dirty, it can attract flies and things like that. But no, aside from that, no, I I don't think that that's a that's a concern. So composting is a good thing to do. Yeah, that's it's not going to increase your chance of infection. Okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, take a break. We're going to check what uh, is out there in the world and in terms of news. And after that, we'll come back and, uh, you know what, we'll talk some hot diggity dog. Because after all, July 4th, we talked about Joey Chestnut. Let's talk about the science of hot dogs. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, before we get to hot dogs, I've got a couple of people on the line. Paul. Yes. Hi, Dr. Joe. Yes, sir. How are you? Good. Okay, I'm gunning for that Empire State Building question. I'm going to be guessing and reaching. I know there was a big race competition for the world's tallest building, or maybe it's only the world's North American, uh, the world's North American's uh, tallest building, but I think they put it there just so that they could be a little bit higher than everyone else. Nope. That's not Uh, it. But it's a valiant effort. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, let's, okay, let's, you okay. have a great weekend. Thanks. Let's see if Josh has answered. Josh, hey, how you doing? Okay. So 
So uh, it's a uh, Zeppelin hook. Yes, it was uh, supposed to be a mooring uh, uh, right. thing for yeah. the Zeppelin, but it was never used. Right. I, I mean, there were... Uh, was, the, it, I, what, was it never used? I, I, isn't there a picture of it actually hooking on to a, a Zeppelin, but after the Hindenburg that stopped? Is it? I don't know. My I thought it was never used, but I have to check that. I have to check that. But certainly, that is exactly why it was it was made. And uh, you know, people don't know that that uh, traveling across the Atlantic uh, via the zeppelins was was relatively common. You know that, uh, and then of course uh, after the Hindenburg, uh, that faded away. Yeah. Okay, but okay. that that is exactly right. It was for it was for dirigibles. Okay, thank you. You want another question, Josh? Yeah. You want another question? Why not? All right. Uh, how many astronauts have walked on the moon? Uh, Twelve. Very good. Yeah. Uh, okay. What um, uh, What is the most common ion in the ocean? Common ion yeah. in the ocean? Yeah. Just uh, uh, oh wow. Um <clears throat> hang on, uh it's just not like H plus, like just like hydrogen? No, it's not. It's oh, not. Okay. But that that's not an unreasonable uh, guess. I, I, <laughs> chemistry <laughs> is not my forte. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Anyway, thanks for for um, for checking in. Okay, uh, let me see. Who else do we have here? I think we have Gary. Gary. Hey, Dr. Joe. Hi. Somebody stole my thunder on the uh, tower. On the tower. Yeah. Okay. But what, I, I what... agree with the other guy, though. There was a race between the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building to make the highest structure in New York. And that the reason that the tower was just a little bit taller was to make it higher than the Chrysler Building. Is that well? I mean, the, the Empire State Building is quite a bit taller than the Chrysler Building. Yeah, but it was it was a matter of the tower that uh-huh. broke the. Okay, broke maybe. The record. All right. What about the other question that I asked? The most common ion in the ocean. I would say salt. No. No. Well, salt. First of all, salt is not an ion. Ah, so okay. I'm looking for the specific ion. Okay. Okay. All right. No. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Uh, let's go to Bonnie. Hey, Bonnie. Good afternoon. I'd like to say, before I ask two questions, if I may, I'd like to say I'm enjoying your book, A Grain of Salt, very much. Every time I get a sugar craving, I read a few paragraphs on your chapter on sugar, and that kills my chocolate craving. (laughs) Listen, listen. You can you can once in a while eat chocolate. Just make sure that it's good chocolate. Uh, so you could promote it as um, you know uh, to to build one's immunity and keep one's weight down. So it does the job, Doctor Joe. Um, um, at, at the beginning of the program, before I get on to a question on mercury, yeah. you mentioned um, there are well. I'm not tired of learning about COVID because I feel that's what's increasing our chances of coping with this. So you mentioned um, two things that are being studied, a derivative of vitamin C, I believe, and then something else. And well, I, I, wanted, I, I mentioned, I, no, not vitamin C, I mentioned quercetin. 
Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, which is uh, found in a lot of fruits and vegetables. It's an antioxidant. And the other okay. one that is being looked at is colchicine. Could you spell that, please? Colchicine? C-O-L. Yes. P-L. C-C-O-L-C-H. Okay, B-O-L-E-H. Uh, no, C, C, C. B as in beer? No, no B. There's no B in it. It's colchicine. Colchicine. It starts with a C. C oh, okay. C-O-L. C-H. Okay. It's, a, it's a drug that is a, already in common use for gout. So Okay. Okay, but so far, I mean, there's very little evidence. I, I wouldn't hang my hat on the, either one of these. Right. Um, I have an antique. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's um, They used to use them to heat water on wood stoves. They're 100% copper. They're large oval things. I have an extremely old one. And the, um, the lid is copper on the inside and the outside. But the lower section that we use to keep firewood in is almost like aluminum foil. And after hearing you earlier today, I'm thinking, is that coated in mercury? No, would that no, help? no, that would not be mercury. No, that's for sure. So okay. I, I can't say um, what it, it's probably stainless steel. And that would date back to the 1800s? Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. another In fact, question. it's it's not likely to be aluminum. Aluminum would have been very expensive in the eighteen uh, hundreds. Okay. And I also bought an antique um, light. My grandfather was a doctor, and he used to use. Um, it had a gooseneck like spring on it in order to shed a lot of light on situations, and it had a reflective thing on the inside. And I'm wondering, would that be mercury? No, or... that's a, that's unlikely. Uh, also, that is just probably some very highly polished metal. This is you're talking about the circular thing that has a hole in the middle. Um, a, a lamp. It's a lamp. Um, it has a like a semicircle shade on it, and the exterior is brass. But the interior is um, very shiny, kind of looking like the inside of the oval um, mm-hmm. water. Well, I mean, without and, without looking at it, uh, I, I really can't say. But I don't. It is very unlikely to be a mercury-based mirror. No, that's the, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Bye. Let's go to Kenneth. Hey, Kenneth. Hi. It's uh, two things. Hydronium ion is the most uh, no. prevalent in the ocean. Nope. Okay, Next. the other thing is uh, my question, personal. Yeah. People have congested heart failure. Their limbs and the skin surfaces fill up with water very quickly. Right. And gain like 30 pounds in three weeks. Yes. Is there anything to replace um, diuretic pills? No, di- well, no. I mean, uh, congested heart failure, of course, has to be treated. And uh, the classic treatment for it was digitalis. And today there are many, many drugs that are in the same family as digitalis. Uh, digoxin would be one. But there are many drugs that are used to treat uh, congestive heart failure, uh, including, of course, diuretics, because it's very important to get rid of the excess water. 
So congestive heart failure is uh, amenable to treatment. The condition actually sounds worse than what it is because, you know, when you say congestive heart failure, you kind of have this image of people imminently dropping dead, which is not the case. It is a condition that can be treated. It cannot be cured, but it can be treated with drugs. Um, in ex- can you do it with exercise, but not in this extreme heat? to shed no not no. no if if you're accumulating of congestive heart failure you're not going to shed it with exercise no, no that needs treatment okay all right thanks. all right thanks very much all right well uh we will take a break check traffic and after that i promise you we will talk hot diggity dog life's everyday mystery solved the dr joe show on cjad 800 all right i'll make a confession I do like hot dogs, especially when you put a good baseball game or hockey game in front of one. And in these days of nutritional correctness, this kind of makes me feel as if I'm admitting to some criminal activity. So at the risk of riling people devoted to subsisting on alfalfa sprouts, algae, tofu, and diverse supplements, let me assure you that it is possible to occasionally indulge in a hot dog and still have a healthy diet. It is also possible to never eat a weenie and have a diet that is a nutritional nightmare. Individual food should not be vilified or deified. It is the overall diet that determines whether we are eating in a healthy or an unhealthy fashion. In any case, like it or not, sausages in various forms have been with us a long time and are destined to remain part of our nutritional culture for the simple reason that people like them. People have been stuffing ground meat along with various spices and other ingredients into casings for thousands of years. Homer sang of sausages in the Odyssey, written around 850 BC. The Romans traditionally made sausages from ground pork and pine nuts for celebrating Lupercalia, a feast of eating, drinking, and wenching. These sausages became so intricately connected to debauchery that Constantine, the first Christian emperor, actually banned them. Sausage bootlegging became a profitable enterprise. By the Middle Ages, hundreds of varieties of sausages had been developed. Many of these, like Bologna, were named after the city where they were first made. But the variety that plays the greatest role in our lives originated in the German city of Frankfurt. The Frankfurter was made with cured meat and was cooked by smoke. Legend has it that the Frankfurter was introduced into North America in 1904 by Anton Ludwig Feitwanger, a Bavarian peddler who set up a booth at the St. Louis World's Fair. Since the sausages he sold were greasy and hot, he loaned his customers white gloves with which to hold them. So many people absconded with the gloves that he needed another solution. His brother-in-law, a baker, came up with one. Why not put the frankfurter in a bun? Everyone wanted to try the newfangled hot dachshund sausages, as the Franks were now called, because of their resemblance to these lengthy canines. Soon the name was abbreviated to hot dog, and a North American staple was born. Today, there are hundreds of manufacturers vying to satisfy the North American craving for some 60 million francs a day. We obviously eat a lot of hot dogs, but not without trepidation. We're never really quite sure what they contain. 
Otto von Bismarck, the celebrated German statesman, once remarked that the two things you don't want to see made are sausages and the law. Judging by some of the parliamentary behavior we've seen, uh, he was sure right about the law. But sausages are not that scary. We can actually learn a lot of science from investigating how they are made. No matter what you may have heard, there are no ears, no snouts, no genitals in your hot dogs. So what is there? Hot dogs can be made from the edible parts of beef, veal, lamb, pork, or poultry. This can include the tongue, the heart, the esophagus, and there's some blood. If you find that hard to stomach, I probably shouldn't tell you that they also sometimes use the stomach. Kosher hot dogs do not contain any of these delicacies. They are made from good quality lean meat mixed with plate trimmings, which is essentially a pseudonym for fat. Whatever the kind of hot dog, the basic process of manufacture is the same. The ingredients are finely chopped and then blended into a smooth paste, which is eventually stuffed into a casing and is then cooked. The taste comes from a mixture of spices, including garlic, pepper, paprika, smoke flavoring, and a good old MSG. Vitamin C, or its chemical cousin, sodium erythorbate, are also included in the mix. Why vitamin C? Because it mitigates the action of the curing salts, which are added next. The curing salt is a mixture of about 98% regular salt and 2% sodium nitrite. All right, now we come to the nitrites. They are the most controversial components of hot dogs. They add flavor, they add color, and they prevent the growth of the deadly Clostridium botulinum bacteria. But they can also react with other components in meat called amines to form nitrosamines. These substances are carcinogenic in test animals and perhaps in humans, but their actual risk is very small. The odd study has linked hot dog consumption to some rare childhood cancers, but critics have pointed out that if this is indeed the case, it is so only in vitamin-deficient children. Another reason uh, to make sure that your kids have a healthy diet, lots of fruits and vegetables to supply those vitamins. In any case, food processors have greatly reduced their use of nitrites since the discovery that vitamin C potentiates the action of these chemicals. This means that less nitrite can be used if vitamin C is added to the mix. Studies have also shown that the added vitamin C reduces the chance of nitrosamine formation in the body. It is also possible to make nitrite-free hot dogs, but these have to be kept frozen. You may have also seen some ads that say uh, no nitrites added, but what they use is celery juice. Well, celery juice is just a natural source of nitrites. It makes no difference to the body uh, what uh, is the origin of those nitrites. Whether they come from celery juice or they're just sprinkled in doesn't really matter. So if the nitrite issue isn't so significant, why should we be concerned about feasting on hot dogs? Major problem, lots of fat. By law, the protein content must be at least 11%, but the fat content is not regulated. The average hot dog is 23% fat by weight. That's a lot. A T-bone steak is 12% fat by weight. An average hot dog contains about 10 to 15 grams of fat, most of it saturated, although poultry and veal francs contain somewhat less. 
This is quite a bit considering that our daily fat intake should not be more than 60-70 grams. Unfortunately, it is the fat in the hot dog that makes it taste so darn good. Is it possible to have a low-fat hot dog? Well, Hormel in the U.S. has come up with 97% fat-free francs, which only have 1.3 grams of fat in each hot dog. The replacement of some of the fat by hydrolyzed vegetable protein is certainly a giant step in the right direction, especially when one considers that a panel of tasters found the Hormel product as tasty as regular hot dogs. Incidentally, the label 100% beef on the packaging is meaningless on nutritional grounds. It just means that all the components, including the fat, are derived from cows, steers, or bulls. Actually, bull meat is very flavorful, but because it is so fibrous, it tends to be tough. However, when macerated in a blender, it makes for an ideal hot dog. And that's no bull. Then, of course, there are tofu hot dogs. These are getting better, but they still seem to develop those uh, revolting warts when they're grilled. Uh, and also we have a whole host of these newfangled hot dogs now that are made with all kinds of uh, vegetable products. Uh, you know, this is the Beyond Meat uh, stuff. And uh, a lot of them are, are based on, on various kinds of soy concoctions. Uh, and uh, they taste reasonable. Uh, still, the occasional regular hot dog, uh, especially, as I said, with a good ball game in front of it, is hard to beat. But, you know, just to be on the safe side, you don't want to make this a, a regular happening. But uh, there's no reason not to enjoy a July 4th holiday uh, by eating a hot dog. On the other hand, I don't think you want to go down the path of Joey Chestnut and uh, see whether or not you can set a record of the number of hot dogs that can be eaten in 10 minutes. Although I don't think that you would have a chance at Joey Chestnut, I, I think that that record of 75 hot dogs uh, consumed in about 10 minutes uh, is going to be hard to beat. That's it. We have run out of time. Uh, this coming uh, Thursday are uh, conversations about COVID-19 plus more with the McGill Office for Science and Society uh, will be at 12 noon. That's when we broadcast it live on the Internet. And in order to connect, all you have to do is to go to our Facebook page, which is the McGill OSS Facebook page. You can also get all of the details on our website, which is www.mcgill.ca slash OSS. So hopefully we'll see many of you there. And if not, I will see you here next week, same time, same station. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.